Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where normally we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. However, we are going back to our a, a new favorite of ours. Uh, so so here, let's just quickly introduce ourselves. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And today we are doing the definitive Christopher Nolan ranking all 10 of his films are all on the table we're going to talk about them all to some extent Ian how are you feeling about this I'm feeling great I was going to say this this is going to be definitive all the other Christopher Nolan rankings they're they're all imitating so will the real Christopher Nolan ranking please stand up and that is this podcast right here I don't mean to toot our own horn or anything but this one is going to be it's going to be uh incendiary yeah there's 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 gonna be some some raw passion in this in this ranking that's why it's a a sort of trigger warning and or uh, apologies in advance i have been (laughs) drinking maybe you can hear it maybe you can't we're also we're we're actively drinking as we speak i am i am uh, enjoying a georgetown bodhisattva and i am enjoying a shilling um excelsior hard cider I've had one of those. They are quite delicious. I'm not a cider guy, but I dig those. And I, and I have had the Bodies off, I thanks to you. So, uh, yes, I, I'm aware of your beer as well. Um, okay, so so let me just, just so, so I can put this all out there at the beginning. Um, we are not going to explain the plots of all of these movies. I'm going to assume that you either know what the movie is about or have seen it. So uh, know that spoilers will happen. Um, hopefully you've seen these movies, um, and, and you have some interest in seeing them if you haven't. So chronologically, really quick, here we go. Following, Memento, Insomnia, Batman Begins, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, and Dunkirk. And of course, the soon-to-be-released Tenet, which will not be a part of our conversation as we've not seen that one, but, um... Yeah. So, should we talk a little bit about Mr. Nolan? Well, yeah, I've got a little bit of a uh, very small biography on Mr. Christopher Nolan. I didn't know this about him. He actually has both dual U.S. and U.K. citizenship, which, yeah, that's, that, that's cool. That he was the went thing up, that took me by surprise, too. Yeah, that he kind of went up in, in my estimation. Like, I knew he was English, but he has a... Uh, he has a British father and an American mother. His mother was a flight attendant. His father um, was, I, I think, uh, hang on. He worked for an, uh, an advertising company, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. He worked. He was an, His dad was an ad exec. And uh, Mr. Nolan, he was born in Westminster on the 30th of July, 1970. So we're a couple of weeks away from his 50th birthday. I, I'm not going to assume that he's going to hear this, but if he does hear it, happy, happy birthday, Mr. Nolan. Happy hope you birthday have a, to you. I hope you have a great 50th. Um, he really went up in my estimation when I did some reading about him. His biggest influence, or one of his biggest influence, was a huge love of mine, and that is uh, Sir Ridley Scott. He has said mm-hmm. on numerous occasions that Alien and Blade Runner, 
huge influences on him as well as Star Wars and 2001. So all the great sci-fi epics are what make up uh, his inspirations and the DNA of his films. Uh, he went to uh, Haleybury and Imperial Service College and University College London. He met his future wife and producing partner, Emma Thomas, there. They've been in a relationship since he was 19, which is great. Good for you guys. Uh, I'm, I'm always very excited when couples like that, you know, they can stand the test of time and stay together. Um, he studied English and film. And uh, he screened 35mm films during the school year and then used the proceeds from screening those films to make 16mm films during the summer. Some of his short films include uh, Tarantella, which is a little bit surrealist, and uh, if you were watching PBS in the late 80s, you may have seen that one. Uh, he did another one called Larceny, and then his most famous one uh, starring the, the lead, Jeremy Theobald, of uh, following, he's in his uh, short film Doodlebug. Did you watch any of the short films before we started this? I I have seen Doodlebug uh, in the past. I did I didn't rewatch it, but I, I have seen it. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun. I dig it. Yeah, I mean, I I do. I mean, even even at you know a short film status, he's he's really interested in messing with narrative and and messing with story and getting you to sort of not to, to getting you to not to. Um, what am I trying to say? Getting you in a place where you don't know what the next thing is going to be. So before we begin our rankings with our number 10s, you want to talk a little bit about the collaborators in his life, some of the people that will crop up if you were to say, do what I'm assuming you did as well, but over the course of a week, I watched nothing but Nolan films. You'll see a lot of the same names in the credits. I don't know if you want to talk about some of his collaborators up front. I, I would love to. Yeah, I think that'll be good to as we go through. So um, I I went with um, uh, I went I sort of broke it down into five categories. Um, so I'm going to start uh, kind of maybe more behind the scenes and then a, a bit more obvious maybe. Um, one that I thought was great. One of his most long-standing collaborators outside of Emma Thomas, who has either been a producer or a co-producer or associate producer on every film that he's put out. Um, his production designer, Nathan Crawley has been his production designer on um, ev almost all of his films. He was not the production designer on Following, Memento, or uh, Inception, uh, but including Tenet, all the other films um, he was a production designer on. Um, I believe he even earned he earned um, uh, an Academy Award nomination for his um, production design in The Prestige, as well as um, also in, um, he earned a, a BAFTA nomination for his production design for Interstellar. Um, when you look at scores, it's funny because I think Hans Sorry, Zimmer, before you, I'm sorry, I don't oh, mean to interrupt. Before you no. jump away from Nathan Crowley, uh, I, I did a little bit of reading about him. He's actually related to very famous uh, occultist Alistair Crowley. He's a, a descendant of him, maybe a nephew or something like that. But uh, the other thing that interested in me in, in Nathan Crowley, I took a look at his, his credits. He started as a set decorator on Hook, which I have talked endless <laughs> amounts of shit about on this show. <laughs> that, is, that, that is fantastic. That's a great... <laughs> That's perfect. We have. Hook has been the butt of many a joke on 1001 by 1. And, and it will continue to be. Indeed, it absolutely will be. Um, so with score, I know we, we raved a lot about Hans Zimmer um, 
when we were talking about the Dark Knight, um, but he also he was a part of all of the Batman movies. Um, with the Dark Knight Rises being a sole score of his, uh, not having James Newton Howard on that one. However, he also did the scores for Dunkirk and Interstellar. And I, I don't know if it's my favorite of all of his with with Nolan, but Inception, the score for Inception is is really great. Oh, it's it's fucking fantastic. And if you uh, if you go back to last week, where I think we. In fact, I think uh, he was your unsung hero on the Dark Knight. Right, he was. I I said that I felt like it was his best work. I kind of want to walk that back just a little bit, and this might be a hot take right up front. <laughs> I do think I do think that it is his best work as an innovator, and I am still very impressed by the fact that he is self-taught. He's not classically trained, so I will say that his score on the Dark Knight is is perhaps his most innovative but i i have to say i have to walk back that comment and say that i think overall end to end and it may be because i listened to it end to end today but gladiator is i think his best score <laughs> i get i don't i i there, and there are others too of his that, that are really good so I, i'm not going to make a definitive statement on what i think Hans Zimmer's best score is, but I mean, Gladiator is a great score as well. Um, Well, it's something we'll have to revisit in the, in the coming months. Ooh, that's a nice teaser. Um, But I didn't want to step away from score yet because David Julian's worked with him four times uh, following Memento, Insomnia and the Prestige. And I, one of the things I really love about Memento is the score and how um, it really does help connect you with what world you're in at the time, if you're going backwards or if you're going forwards. And that score is haunting. The score in Memento is fucking haunting. And the, the music that rises up as the picture is undeveloping, mwah, mwah, it's perfect. Oh, it's great. It's it's one thing that I did definitely highlight uh, in this go-around watching Memento. It's very atmospheric. It's very jarring. Well, not, not jarring in a bad way, but it's very. Uh, it, sets, it does a great job of setting you on edge. Um, and then I was moving on to uh, cinematographers, which, I mean, you, you really can't associate uh, Christopher Nolan with great cinematography and not talk about Wally Pfister. It is unfortunate that, what I mean, I'm not even sure what happened, but after The Dark Knight Rises, Wally Pfister probably just wanted to start making his own his own movies, uh, anticipate an upcoming episode of, um, of uh, Below Freezing to talk about Transcendence, which I haven't watched yet, but uh, that'll be on, on the horizon. Um, but the work that he did with Christopher Nolan is just, it, I mean, you, you can, you can just see it. It's, it's, it's amazing. And, and, but I got to say, um, the work of, uh, Hoyt Van Hoytma, uh, on Interstellar and Dunkirk is also really great too. So, you know, he, I, I can, I mean, I will say with what, whoever the cinematographer is, Christopher Nolan has a great working relationship with that person and you, you can see it on the screen. It's, it's yeah, phenomenal. No, he has. He has great taste in cinematographers, and of course, Wally Pfister did finally uh, get his due when he won the Academy Award for his cinematography on Inception, and that's just something I, I mean, that was a great year for film just in general, but I can't argue the cinematography win for Inception. Fucking great looking film. And of course, yeah. I said on last week's episode that I do, and I, I will stand by this, I won't walk this one back. I do still think The Dark Knight is one of the best looking comic book movies, if not the best. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, uh, moving on to editors. Um, I don't want to skip over Dottie Dorn 
because Dottie Dorn earned an Academy Award nomination for editing Memento, uh, which is great. Um, but Lee Smith has been the essentially the longtime editor since Batman Begins. Um, not the editor for Tenet. Uh, somebody named Jennifer Lame is going to be the editor for that film. But Lee Smith from Batman Begins to Dunkirk um, and, and won, uh, won uh, uh, an Oscar for editing Dunkirk. And also was, I believe, only nominated. No, no, no. Editing. Uh, sorry, sorry. Inception was not nominated for editing, um, but one for Dunkirk, which is great. So again, you can also see too that um, uh, Christopher Nolan is giving his his designers and people who worked on the film a great opportunity to get themselves some accolades uh, working on his movies because you can see most of the people he's worked with have either been nominated or won an Oscar. Uh, Lee Smith has uh, he has a great track record. He he uh, edited well. He did get a nomination for the Dark Knight, didn't win, but he did also edit the Truman Show, and a film that I love very very much, which is Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World. He was editor oh, on yeah. that film, and the okay. one the actually the one that pisses me off. I'm I'm really happy that he won for Dunkirk, but I do think that editing was a category that kind of went by the wayside when it came to 1917. He was. He's also been Sam Mendes' editor uh, for the past few years. He edited uh, Spectre and he edited uh, 1917. I do really think that 1917 deserved that recognition, even though the film appears like it is all one shot. But uh, if, you're, uh, if you have the time, I know you're not a commentary guy, but if any of our listeners are into commentaries, you absolutely should listen to Roger Deakins' commentary on 1917 because he does highlight where all the cuts, he doesn't call them cuts, he calls them blends, where all of those happen. And nice. honestly, I don't want to go on a 1917 tangent because that's not we're here, what we're here to talk about, but when I assumed the first cut happened, there were like seven others before that. Like Lee Smith is the unsung hero. If we were to ever do a 1917 episode, Lee Smith would be the unsung hero of that film. I'd have to imagine that in, in some later incantation of the book that it's good that 1917 will will be in there um and then i guess you know the only other um collaborator i wanted to mention i guess was uh would be his brother jonathan nolan who um has co-written a lot of the movies uh memento was based on a short story of his um jonathan nolan co-wrote um the prestige and the dark knight and dark knight rises and interstellar so um just a long time working companion uh, is his own brother. Well, yeah, we'll definitely elaborate on that writing process when we get to Memento. And we should call out, if we forget to, when we talk about Interstellar, that Interstellar was his script originally. He was commissioned by Steven Spielberg to write that script. So he had caught the eye of, you know, the biggest and best outside of working with his brother. So that's those are the key collaborators I wanted to mention. Did I leave anybody out that you wanted to throw some some love to? Well, those are all behind the scenes people. If we're going to talk about in front of the camera, we can't not talk about Michael Caine. We can't not talk about as Christopher Nolan describes him, his good luck charm. I I have a little game coming up later, uh, so that that'll come up. But yeah, but for sure, yes, Michael Caine um, appearing in uh, the Prestige, all of the all of the Batman's that he did. Um, also in Inception, lends uh, a, a very small scene and small scenes in Interstellar, and his voice on the other end of a radio in Dunkirk. Yeah, I mean he's. I think, and we'll elaborate on this further, but I think he's done some of his best work with Nolan. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. 
Um, so are we, are we jumping in? Are we jumping into our, our top 10? Well, the last, the last thing that I want to do before we jump into the top 10, uh, and I know we're already more than 15 minutes in, but, uh, mm-hmm. I want to give a shout out to IndieWire. Last year they did a little article where they talked about some of Nolan's favorite films. So just before we get into the films themselves, just maybe talk a little bit about more about his influences. Uh, so I have all 30 of them. I'm not going to bore us with all 30, but, uh, you know, you can go on IndieWire's website and you can find that article. But I just wanted to talk about some of his influences with you and kind of get your reaction to some of them. Uh, the first one that caught my eye, because I mentioned it during a Hitchcock episode, is he talked about Foreign Correspondent being an influence of his. I don't know if you've seen that yet. I have not. I, would that, did that make your top five Hitchcock? Uh, top- uh, it was formerly in the top five. I believe it fell out. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so I think it's just outside the top five. Uh, the one that I was expecting to see that I didn't see, because I he is known as such a James Bond fan, I was expecting to see Honor Majesty's Secret Service amongst his favorite films, because uh, Inception shares those kind of uh, very exciting ski sequences that are also in that film. But he talked about The Spy Who Loved Me as being his favorite Bond film. Now, I know you've only just recently bought that box set have you delved into the world of james bond yet and started no, to go through that so i was um they were on prime for a long time and and when i was uh during um when we were te- uh, teching a show that i was in i would sort of watch 30 minutes here and there and i went through a couple of them um I, you know and it's hard for me to remember all of the ones that we went through i do know that that's whenever we started that's going to be the next sort of like collectively that's that's what we'll start to watch um, but we haven't we haven't delved too deep into that yet well the the spy who loved me is certainly the best of the roger moore era films um as i mentioned earlier he's a big ridley scott fan both alien and blade runner appear on his list of favorite films as does 2001 the stanley kubrick film um the original superman the richard donner superman appears on his list of favorite films of all time i don't you know we've never we don't talk comic book movies a lot when you and i talk so i'm i'm curious to know how you (laughs) feel about that appearing on his list um i i think that a certain generation being impressed by superman does not surprise me um i i think i probably watched that film for the first time two or three years ago uh it it falls very very flat I, I and I've seen I've seen the four Christopher Reeve Superman. I oof, woof. They they only get worse. I I'm not surprised to hear that. There are <laughs> moving on actually two Terrence Malick films on his list of favorite films. The first one being The Thin Red Line, and okay, the second yeah. being The Tree of Life. Yeah. The Thin Red Line, man. That's I've only seen it once, and I'm very I'm very hesitant to revisit. Uh, Thin Red Line just because of how much it 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 haunted me like it that movie genuinely fucked me up I I've I've seen it once and it has been I mean I was definitely like maybe in my third or fourth year of college when I first saw it so it's been uh, quite a while since I've seen that movie sorry not to not to drag on the running time any any more than it's gonna be but I just (laughs) just want to just I was very excited when I saw 12 Angry Men on there because that was a movie that was a movie that fucking changed my life, changed the way that I thought about films. He's got All Quiet on the Western Front on there, which is a movie that uh, if you stick around with us, we're about to do that one in a few weeks. And I'm very excited to see that film for the first time. Indeed. Uh, he's got Koyanus Kwansi, The Right Stuff. 
and then one that really irritates me because it's in the book and it's going to be quite difficult for us to do it is greed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just based on trying to find a copy of it. Yeah, and, you know, not giving Scarecrow a $700 deposit for the VHS. <laughs> That's true. Oh, man. Well, yeah, the, and, I mean, I, and everybody's influenced by different things. And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised to hear any of those. I think, I think those, are, those are all great movies. All right, man. You ready to, you ready to get down to brass tacks? You ready to uh, get out the brass knuckles and, I, and go to I war? Am. I am. Who who's who's given their top who's given their number 10 first? You know, seeing as though you are more of a Nolan fanboy than I am, I will secede pole position to you. So as we mentioned, we you know, yes, both of us over the last week or so, we we all we we rewatched all of these movies and um and just like before with uh, when we ranked Fincher movies and then Spielberg and the Ots, I, I had a pre-ranking and then a, and then a, a post-watching ranking. Um, so I'm just going to come right out and say it. My number 10 is Dunkirk. <sighs> I'm guessing that's not... Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be contentious already. I cannot believe that. I cannot believe Dunkirk is your number 10. Well, it is. That is. I I have no words. I have no words. My number what ten is, is the dark. My number ten is the Dark Knight Rises. Okay. My number nine is Interstellar. Oh, sorry. We before we before we continue, we oh. should probably tell our oh. audience if they didn't if they didn't listen to the Fincher one. The way that we're doing the the director rankings yes. is that you say one. I say one, you know, we going up from ten to going up yeah. from ten to one, and then uh, we'll discuss the film at whatever the highest position it is. Indeed. Indeed, indeed. So sorry, your number nine was Interstellar. Yes, uh, my number nine is also Interstellar. Hey, there we go. Uh, <sighs> Interstellar's tough, man. That is, it's a. I hate this. I hate this adjective so much. It's an interesting movie. It's, there's a lot of there's a lot of strange choices, a lot of interesting things that happen in this film. I don't know if you want to yeah. lead the discussion. Well, I I do. I like, and I I forgot how. You know, kind of when this takes place, in you know, in the somewhat distant future, and we're going through a, essentially a new type of plague. They call it the blight, and we're essentially just. They talk about all the dust and basically people are just growing corn and, and it's basically become a world where we don't need scientists anymore. You know, we need farmers. We need people to grow shit. And clearly Matthew McConaughey has some kind of um, astronaut or fighter pilot kind of training. And, you know, I, I really, I think there's some great stuff going on. I really like, you know, where, you know, like there's little scenes that I really enjoy. I, I loved Matthew McConaughey going to talk to the principal and the teacher. I thought the whole thing about, you know, I kind of wish her mom was still alive because she'd be nicer and, and she'd be handling this much better than I would. I, I, there were some great little moments happening there. Um, and I love the details of how the world has changed. Like, like it's like, it's like a crowd of 100 people watching the New York Yankees play like just cool little, I thought those were all fun details. Um, Again, going back to the fucking cinematography, it's just, I think it's just gorgeous. Um, you know, 
I think maybe my 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 biggest issue with the movie is um I think it's how do I say this? It, it's trying to come across to be more of an important movie than it actually is, um, because I I think because and it's tough because I do think that this is trying to make a comment on the way that we live now and the way that the world could go, you know. And I think it, it I think it's trying to make kind of a a quasi comment on you know global warming or 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 um, just industrialization and, and, and all of this, all of this kind of stuff. But I, I think it gets lost in the quantum physics and, and, and the fifth dimension stuff. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. I, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of factors that are kind of working against each other in the movie because I, I don't know ultimately what I'm, what I'm trying to, to, to glean from it. Well, I, I felt like you would have a, a stronger connection. I don't want to play the dad card. But you, you are a father, and this film is very much about father-daughter relationships. Yes. So I, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Because um, I do, I think the scene, I think the scene where uh, Jessica Chastain, the first time that her, her face comes up, and she's basically saying, you know, she, she's sending him the message because she's the same age that he was when he left. I think that's all great, but that the the, the thing that's become, become a meme of Matthew McConaughey just bawling, um, that's actually I kind of think, and I maybe this I need my soul's a little too dark to have. I mean, I maybe I shouldn't be nitpicking this moment, but when he he first sees a young Timothy Chalamet who is his son, um, the first like when he comes back from the first planet, and um, he's he sees the first video, he smiles and then he starts crying and. You know, part of me wishes that they had saved Matthew McConaughey crying for something a, a bit more pivotal. But the, I, what I, and I, I don't know if you remember this, but he starts crying the second his son says he met a girl. And I was like, no, no, that's not the moment you start crying. Like, I'm just like, I'm thinking like if I'm putting this movie together, it has to be something more personal. It has to be something more touching. Well, yeah, because uh, just seconds later, it's followed up by Casey Affleck as the older version of his son showing him his grandson. That's the moment where you cry. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that you can't. I, yeah, I, I just think it, it happens really early and it's really intense. And I get that he's been he's been gone for a while. But like and especially because when he sees the first video of his son, that's the way he, he remembered his son. Right. He hasn't seen his son age. Yet. It just I don't know. It. it it didn't. The synapses in my brain couldn't connect it. it. It didn't. It felt a bit false to me, um, and I think ultimately what where this movie lacks in uh, in kind of in character building and character relationships, um, the visual. I mean, I don't know how to. I, the visuals are great. Like when they're on the water planet, that shit was intense. Like oh yeah, when they crazy. when they figure out that those aren't mountains, that they are their waves, and you have minutes to get off the planet because this wave could potentially kill you. That's fantastic. I mean, I, you're not going to hear me knock the you're not going to hear me knock the visual effects. You're not going to hear me knock the score at all because I think this is a very good score by Hans Zimmer. It's not his best, but I think it is a very good score. Yeah. Um, and the performances like McConaughey just he gives it everything he has. Like he knows, you know, you, you go as an actor, I feel like you go into a Nolan film at this point or even, 
six years ago when this film was released, and you know the stakes. You know, Heath Ledger has set the bar. Leonardo DiCaprio has set the bar. Like, you know how hard it is to to make your mark in a film that's going to be so revolutionary because his films are revolutionary. He takes cinema and he does a great job of turning on his head. So you really have to be 100% firing in all cylinders. And Matthew McConaughey, he does it. This is an absolutely fantastic performance by him. Can I, can I ask you but a question? But it's let... Yeah, go for it. Is this movie better if either Leo or Matt Damon is in that role? Oh... I man, I don't know. That's that's tough. That's a that's a really tough beat because I do think Matthew McConaughey knocks it out of the park. I think he's see, great. I, in this. I I think he knocks moments out of the park, and there are other times where it it feels either either false or and I'll I'll just I'll just try to I'll just say it. His his um vocal rhythms, his his Matthew McConaughey ism. Um, it makes it hard to believe the shit that he's saying at times. Don't and, let and, me and leave, Murph. It's it's, and I buy. It's funny because I buy the passion, right? I, it's not that I. It's not that I don't believe the emotion, but it, it seems again there's like a disconnect, you know. And I feel like if it's, and I know that Damon is the surprise villain in the movie, but like I just there's an there's more of an everyman earnestness that Damon brings, and more of a I don't know. Leo's just good. So, and it's not that I don't like Matthew McConaughey. I think he is severely overrated. Um, so you know that's maybe that's a personal bias creeping in there, but eh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but you also at this point have you seen Killer Joe yet? N- no, I haven't. But I okay. I am familiar. Tell me, I've, see, see Killer Joe, and then tell me you still feel that he's underrated or overrated. He, excuse me. But here's the thing: I, I, I have seen the play. I've read the play, and I, I, nothing that he's. Here's the thing: I, I know what's going to happen in the movie when I eventually watch it, and it's, it's not going to change my mind. It, it just won't. Well, that's you already. You already have a disadvantage then, because you know. I do. You know the play. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I when do. I when I saw it, I didn't know the play. So for me, oh, this I'm was sure. like a. I'm sure when it you saw Matthew, it, fucking... Yeah, it fucked me up, man. It was yeah. a Matthew McConaughey renaissance for me. I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing in this? And holy yeah. shit, he's nailing it. What, Whatever it is he's doing, because I'm not going to pretend I know what the fuck is going on in that play as far as, you know, uh, uh, an acting standpoint goes. I don't know what it takes to get <laughs> to twisted. that place. It is twisted. But whatever it is, I, he's fucking nailing it. And I will watch it eventually, but yeah. And I mean, and I, and I guess I wanted to just, I, I, the only thing I wanted to like, you know, I only have a few bullet points for each thing because I know we could talk endlessly for all of these, but I is, I know you've mentioned before, I think even on the podcast, but at least, you know, it, when we talk about this is that, you know, this definitely falls in your esteem because you say we already have 2001. So I want to know if that's still something you actively think about now having rewatched it. Well, I will. I will preface by saying that I I did the same as you. I didn't do it for the Fincher one, but I was I was smart enough to do it for this one. I made a pre-watch ranking, and a post-watch ranking. I actually made three. I made a pre-watch, a post-watch, and then a final. And um, in my pre-watch, Interstellar was number ten. It was actually below Dark Knight Rises. And it you know it went up a point, just because the pacing in the first hour. The first hour of this film is fantastic. Like so, I, I I had to I had to get up. I got a I 
I paused the movie, got up, I got something to eat, and I got another beer, and I, I came back down and I looked at the timestamp, and the timestamp was like 58 minutes, I was like, holy shit, I can't believe that 58 minutes has gone by, like, this film does so much work up front to set this world up and to get you engaged in these characters and to get you to care about this world, and then something something happens, you know what I mean, in like the second act of this film where... For me, I start to disengage, and then I re-engage when Matt Damon appears, because I'm like, holy shit, that's Matt Damon, and this is great, <laughs> and he's the, he's the surprise villain, and I re- I, you know when he comes out of the cryosleep and he starts to cry because this is the first face he's seen in decades at this yeah. point? Like, I, I believe it. Like, I get it. It fucking, it gets to me, and he has, I'm going to big up, uh, Matt Damon I know he's he's only got a small role and he like you say that's a great phrase I love that the surprise villain when he he does that thing where McConaughey starts to realize that oh shit you lied about your data you just wanted to get rescued and they have their fights and and uh, he's got him pinned and Matt Damon realizes the only thing he there's this great moment where there's only like a second he's there he's pinned and he, and he doesn't know what to do next, and then it comes to him, oh shit, I can smash his helmet with my helmet, and he starts banging on yeah. his helmet. And when he and when he gets, you know, the, the air starts to come into McConaughey's helmet, and he's starting to, to asphyxiate, and Matt Damon is like, I, I, I was going to stay with you, I thought I could stay with you, I thought I could watch this, but I, I just can't, I just can't watch you die. Man, that moment, that moment hits me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. So I'm I'm sort of there. Are, there are things that are going on in this movie where I that are diametrically opposed. Like I love the performances. I can't knock any of the performances. And what's going to happen here is I'm I'm going to get it out of the way now. I'm going to talk shit about Michael Caine right now. I don't think this is a good performance from Michael Caine. His death scene, not good. I can't understand it's, half of what it's he's fucking not a saying. Good, yeah, and it's it, you know, well, that's true too. Yeah, you can't hear the words he's saying, and it's just I don't think it's a well written scene. No, anyway. I don't think so either. So other than that one, I can't knock the performances, but some of the Nolan, as we talk about the Dark Knight trilogy, we'll start to delve into this more, but as he's so obsessed with realism yes. and this, this movie takes, you know, it, I'm, and I'm not going to pretend I'm not a, phys, a theoretical physicist. I, I don't know what's true and what's not. This podcast is not a science podcast, <laughs> but the idea of fifth dimensional human beings placing a tesseract inside the black hole and that it was preordained that Murph would be the chosen one to discover how to save mankind and that her father was going to be the conduit for that. I mean, that's cool and all, but I'm more interested in what that looks like. I want to see these fifth dimensional beings. I want to see the decisions that they made to get to this point. Uh, and it's also, it's kind of like the Terminator. So like we talked about, it's the chicken and the egg thing. Of yeah, like he sends yeah. his own father back in time. I'm more interested in that story than I am the the conclusion, quote unquote, the conclusion of, of this story. Yeah. I, it, it gets a little, it gets a little uh, crazy and hard to follow there at the end. But I mean, yeah, yeah, you can't knock the visuals. And, and, and I think some of the performances, I, I'll. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I know John John Lithgow is criminally under underused in this film. That's true. Like if you, That's true. If you're if you're gonna get John Lithgow, like fucking make him do some work, man, because he will <laughs> work. True. John yeah. Lithgow is fucking amazing. 
He's great. In fact, I saw a movie with John Lithgow uh, just a couple of years ago. Him and Alfred Molina playing a gay couple, which was great. One of the and they're they're forced to to live apart and to still try and have a relationship across New York City, and and just him and Alfred Molina working together, beautiful. Did you did you watch Dexter? I did not, but I know he's in that. Yeah, his hit the season of Dexter that he's on. He's fucking nuts. He is. That, that's crazy. He, yeah, he's crazy good. All right. Um, moving on to eight. Moving on to number eight. Uh, so my number eight is The Dark Knight Rises. Well, there you go. That was my number 10. That it was. And, that it was. Holy shit. That movie. God, I wish you and Melissa would do this on Below Freezing, but I mean, the movie's Rotten Tomatoes is is way too high for some reason that I just oh, can't fathom. Well, I, like, I can't, we're gonna I, save I can't. we're gonna save Rotten Tomato scores for the halfway point because I yeah, there's some crazy shit going on there. Um, so here's the thing about The Dark Knight Rises. This is a this is a movie full of like some really just cool cool moments. Um, I do think as as uh, who know? I mean, the plot is overly convoluted, and that's the. I think where this film suffers the most is, I who who knows? Like, there's the whole thing with the 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 water ev- evaporator thing, and like it's just, and now it's becoming a fucking neutron bomb, and it's it's crazy. A lot of it is crazy, but I like the ramifications. I like that the city shuts down, and like there's all these different like the, all the shit going on, and that opening the scene in the plane. I love all of that. I think that that cool. Like the way the bigger plane comes and fucking rips it up, and the scores amped up. I I do I I I love that. Um, well, the movie never lives up to the promise of that opening scene. That's fair. That's is I, the I issue. can't disagree and, with that. And we have to deal with this right now. You genuinely think right now in your heart of hearts. I want you to look because we're doing this over Skype. I want you to look yep. me in the fucking eyes and tell me you genuinely think that Dark Knight Rises is a better film than Dunkirk. Yeah. I I don't I don't know what to do with that. I I That's literally fine. I literally don't know what to do with that because That's Dunk, fine. Uh, because The Dark Knight Rises is it's a comic movie it's a comic book movie that forgot to have fun. And I'm not saying that all comic book movies have to be over the top. They have to have you know huge moments of levity. They have to have you know it's 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 a movie that just forgot to be an engaging and an entertaining experience. They were so... And the thing that makes most Nolan movies great, especially when we come to Inception and Prestige, we'll talk about his use of foreshadowing and his use of details, but this is a movie that just forgot to have fun. I mean, I guess it depends on on what you mean by fun. I mean, and I get that it's it's pretty dark. I mean, I the the fight between Bane and Batman, that first one down in the in the sewer it's it's tough i mean if, if you if you like oh Batman, no that's 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 my favorite moment in the movie i will say when they suck all the music out and it's just those flat hard packing sounds of bane's fist just beating the ever-loving shit out of batman i i love that moment because it, it shocked me like it that that's a moment that shakes me to my core because we want to believe that batman is infallible we want to believe that he can do all these amazing things, and here comes this guy out of nowhere and literally destroys him and his world. That moment where he's beating 
the bat the cowl until it crushes into his face yeah i mean that's that's some ballsy shit and i give nolan huge props for running with that like well done sir that is an incredible moment but you've still after that you've still got another hour and a half of movie and and honestly for me it's it's the length and and how convoluted okay let me let me like but here's the biggest things the length the convoluted script and the uh quote unquote twist of uh um um what's it Tate? Uh, what, what, Miranda Tate being Talia Al Ghul, which if you're if you're a Batman fan and and because Liz is in my life I've learned and because I've played the Arkham games, I've learned a whole lot more about Batman than I had previously. And so that that to me I was like, I knew that I knew that shit was coming. The second he has the flashback with uh, with Razal Girl, Razal Girl sort of appears to him when he's in the prison, and his back is in so much pain. You could say that he's maybe kind of hallucinating because he's sure. in so much pain. Uh, I at that moment I was like, yeah, she's Talia Al Ghul. But I, I do, I don't know. I, I, it's maybe it's hard for me. It, it is a bit hard for me to explain. But I think, you know, it, it's the culmination. I like, I like seeing where like Gary Oldman becomes more important. Like, you know, there's all that shit where Batman, not only is he actually out of Gotham, but he's basically now leading the charge. You know, it's it's Gary Oldman and, and Jason, Gord- uh, Jason, Joseph Gordon-Levitt um, trying to rally the troops. And I like what he does. I know we lose Michael Caine for a lot of it, but I mean, Michael Caine, holy shit, man. That the, the scene two, where he stands up to him. The two scenes, the two really big scenes that he has. Obviously, there's the one where he tells him about Rachel's letter, which is great, yeah. and then the one where he cry. He, he's they've quote unquote buried Bruce Wayne, of, and then he turns Bruce. to the graves. He turns to the graves of Thomas and Martha Wayne, and he starts crying. He says, "I failed you." I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. That hurts me. That chokes me up. As I said on last week's episode, as a as a as a man from the British Isles, and having grown up with Michael Caine and seen all the badass gangster roles that he's played. You know, that that kind of made me question a few things in my life. Like, oh shit, Michael Caine is an actor. He can cry. Yeah. Like, he's got this shit. So, I think a common theme you're going to hear as we go through these is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a question for you as we go through. Is the ending uh, of this... Or, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things happening at the end of the movie. Um, does the ending for you work any better if... And maybe I mentioned this to you before. If... When Michael Caine looks across the restaurant and that same story that he alluded to earlier to him is coming, kind of coming to fruition. If we don't see Bruce Wayne and we just yes. see his reaction. I'm so glad I'm so glad you brought. Yeah, absolutely. If we don't see the reverse of that shot, better movie. I mean, because we don't we don't need it. We'll no, get yeah, it because he did the same thing in Inception. He took a chance on not on not showing us the top fall. We just see yeah. it spinning and then it and it shudders slightly. He took a chance on that, so why not do the same here in Batman? Why not take a chance and let us decide if Bruce Wayne is alive or not? Yeah, yeah. And I well, that was it. That was the small thing. Um, I I almost wonder if that's a Warner Brothers decision, like a, from a franchise standpoint, if that's their sure. decision. Because as a filmmaker, I'm leaving it ambiguous. I'm just showing Michael Caine. I'm doing. I'm I'm fulfilling the promise that I made early in the film, showing him in Italy getting his Ferne Branca. 
we don't need to see if Bruce Wayne is alive or not. Yeah. I I I think it's I think the storytelling's been so clear up to that point that it you, you they could take a bigger risk. They could take a bigger chance and just not show it and we would absolutely get it. Well, um, after after Batman Begins and Dark Knight Rises, don't you think he's earned the op- he's earned the right to be ambiguous at the end? He's earned oh. that lack of payoff. Well, and I mean, and all the other movies he's done for Warner Brothers up until that point too. I mean, granted the the and we have, we're not talking about the Prestige yet, but the Prestige was the first like more, like a big studio taking a chance on him, and and so but so he's I mean in a way yeah Christopher Nolan is slightly beholden to Warner Brothers, but then again, look at the I mean how many how many filmmakers are out there getting to make I mean I granted. Nolan does have the Batman trilogy behind it, but getting to make big budget original movies, like who the fuck gets to do that? Yeah, I know. Right. I mean, that's, that's the thing that I respect and the thing that, I mean, it's easy to shit on success, right? I mean, it's easy for me to sit here and, and, you know, talk shit, but he is at this moment in time, the most successful filmmaker in recent history, I mean, Warner Brothers let him crash, you know, moving on to, to Tenant, which hasn't come out yet. They let him crash an actual 747 into a fucking hangar. Like, in what world are you allowed to do that? <laughs> Only in Christopher Nolan's world. Exactly. I mean, so, I mean, fucking hats off to him for, you know, taking the studio for a ride, if that's in fact what he's doing. Um, I, I have one more Dark Knight Rises thought, just for me for me what do you think of tom hardy's voice i think every decision tom hardy makes in this film is the wrong choice <laughs> every fucking single one of them <laughs> I, and i love tom hardy i mean a year later he would make Locke, and i i think Locke is one of the best films of the century so far Locke is good Locke is a good Locke, Locke is oh it's more than Locke is damn near perfect Maybe he wonders why you would shoot a man before throwing him out of a plane. <laughs> I mean, it is so like I think and I think we it's take the city and we give it back to you. It's like a, it's a fucking you're not doing a Batman villain, you're doing a fucking Austin Powers villain. Like what the oh, fu- man. and and why didn't Christopher Nolan go, hang on? Hang on, there. I I guarantee you, there was like a half a dozen people on that set that had to like turn away to make sure they didn't get picked up by the booms, who were laughing their fucking balls off. Now, now I do like even early, early Tom Hardy. He has always been one to sort of change himself physically and vocally, and so that that's not surprising. But there, do you not get a sense of like I need to I need to Heath Ledger this shit like real hard? Oh, absolutely. I, I got like. <laughs> Like you know, you know what? Actually, if Dark Knight Rises comes out before Dark Knight, we probably wouldn't be talking shit. But because he felt the need to, like, oh man, I gotta follow. I'm the bad guy in this film, and Heath Ledger yeah. changed villains in films forever. I gotta, I gotta do something, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go as far out left field as I possibly can. And honestly, it's it's the wrong choice. I love Tom Hardy. 
I, I, it, yeah, me too. It really, it pains me. It pains me so fucking much to talk shit about Tom Hardy. <laughs> but it, it, you get it's down to good. brass tags. I, I love him in Bronson. Obviously, I just said that Locke, I think, is one of the most perfect films of the century so far. I fucking love him in Inception. I love him in Rock and Roller, even though that's just a small role. But, yeah. dude, what the fuck were you thinking? What I appreciate, what I actually honestly genuinely appreciate about it, it was a big, bold choice that he stuck with for the whole fucking thing. Like, cool. That's who you are. I get it. That's what you're doing. And the size of him, I mean, I mean, you can't knock the size of him in this film. Like, he is, he's a force to be reckoned with, and he is intimidating. And honestly, yeah. if he was standing in this room right behind me right now and did this voice, I would shit my pants. <laughs> Well, let's let's move on to your eight before that happens. Well, yeah, but well, before we do, ah, I thought that was a good segue. I'm, I'm sorry, I, it was a, it was a good segue. I'm sorry to fuck that up. I I really am sorry to fuck that up. But when it comes to the Dark Knight Rises, and I know you said you want to hold on to talking about Rotten Tomato scores, but at this point, at this point in history, this is film number this is film number eight for him. Yes. I feel like we're in the territory where we're quote unquote not allowed to talk shit about him because the Rotten Tomato score for this fucking thing is 87% critic and yep. 90% audience and it's Indeed. also number 70. Number think about this. Oh, no. This film is no. this film Oh, sorry, I'm spoiling it. I know. We'll we'll get to where his films cuz he's got seven films on the IMDb 250, yep. but yes, they, before yep. we get there. This film is number 70 on the IMDb top 250 of all time. Just think about that. That, let that, that let that permeate. Let that fucking ratchet itself into your brain. And how does that not make you fucking sick? Okay, so the Rotten Tomato score is something that I can't. I can't. Whatever. Like that is what it is. I, I can't do much about it. I think that's more of just an interesting t- statistic. Number seventy on the IMDb top two hundred and fifty. That is just like. I mean that that, that is so much horse shit. It's so <laughs> laughable. <laughs> Also, I'm, I'm, I want to pull the Wes Anderson card out of the deck really quick. Does this film not feel like look at all my famous friends? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I get. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Ben Mendelsohn, totally wasted in this film. No idea yeah. why Ben Mendelsohn is in it. I'm happy to see him. But dude, what the fuck are you doing in this movie? You know, I think the thing, though, is that Ben Mendelsohn, even though he he's older in the movie, like he's still kind of making his bones. Like Ben Mendelsohn isn't Ben Mendelsohn for another couple of years, I think, after after the dark Knight rises uh, or maybe i just uh, okay no no that's that, that's fair that, i oh, d- i mean uh, i i did i did see the place beyond the pines first and i fucking love him in that yeah but again he's still like he's a character actor like he's you know he's still like he gets to be kind of a dick in in a big fucking blockbuster so that's that's something yeah no i i i love seeing him in it but it also kind of confuses me <laughs> that's fair <laughs> all right man what is your what is your number eight my number eight is following. Well, let's talk about it because that is my number seven. Perfect. Following, following, I would say is a is a pretty good first film. Yeah, I, you know what I, what I really really enjoyed watching this movie is, I I I I'm watching it and I go, you know what, if and when. Ian and I ever make a movie like this is the kind of movie I think we could do like you know we just get a camera and we, we work with the people that we know and the places that we're familiar with and like 
what what I like about it is it in a way it feels like a big movie like you know it has a score and it's it's kind of craftily edited and we've got these different timelines and 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 I I really I think I miss this Christopher Nolan so much. It was gritty and it's kind of dark and it's about some guy who fucking following people and doesn't know he's being set up and it's just like I mean, some of I, I, uh, how do I? Uh. No, that's no, that's great. Stay with that. The idea of because we'll talk about this again in Memento. The idea of a man being used, a man being positioned like a chess piece, is how yeah. I looked at this film because this is only the oh. second time I've seen it. But yeah, I yeah, looked yeah. at well, it. He was being. You get to you get further into the film, and the the reveals start to happen. You start to learn some people's ulterior motives. He he's a chess piece, and yeah. I I really like looking at it like that. And and let me let me sort of sidetrack the conversation for a moment. Did you ever feel like you would would ever say the words "I wish this Christopher Nolan film was longer"? Um, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned length because obviously I think the longer he, the more he gets into his career, the longer his movies get. Now, Dunkirk is actually one of the shorter movies, but um, yeah, it's it's funny. I do think that there's, and I don't know what exactly, but there's more you could have. There's more probably with the relationship with the blonde that you could have you could have done. We could have seen more of Cobb on his own. You that's know, more that's of, great. Do you do you think that because that's Leo's character's name yeah. in Inception is. Is the Cobb in this film the same Cobb in Inception? Just I don't. Who, who's I don't to say? But oh uh, yeah, who exactly? Who's to say? Yeah, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't get that. I just think it's a name that he liked, and he kept in. He put into a later movie. Um, that's oh, that's spe- a fun fun little connection though. Well, speaking of Easter eggs, do you like that? There's a giant fucking Batman symbol on the front of the door that they break into. Well, that's uh, that's not so much an Easter egg as just a happy coincidence. Well, sure, but I mean, like that's that's awesome. Like, like who the who the fuck would have known when they were making that movie that in less than a decade he would be helming the fucking new Batman trilogy? Like, that's just that's just crazy. That's fun. And I do I do really like that a lot. And the you know the reason why Following is number eight on my list is not necessarily because I think it's a bad movie. I think it is a really really good first film. Maybe even as I watch it more, maybe I'll come to say that I think it's an above average first film. I'm not going to say that right now, but I'd certainly think that I could find greater appreciation for it. I just like the other films on the list more. Yeah, I think I, I think why this one is is higher up on my list is I, I like the grittiness. I like, you know, it feels messy, but I think the the concept and the story to me is what what draws me in. And as much as I um I don't think Jeremy Theobald is a good actor, um, I think I think he's working. I think Alex Ha, who plays Cobb, and Lucy Russell, who plays the blonde, I think he he's in scenes with better actors, which I think elevates his game. Um, but I I don't know, man. I think that the grittiness, the originality. I, I just I like it. I like I like that it feels it feels like a first feature, but not in a in a bad way. Um, yeah, it's also man, the I first. Don't... It's the first appearance of his uncle John, who pops yeah. up in a few films. Uncle John plays the policeman in this, and will go on to appear in a couple of the Dark Knight movies as well. Yeah, the as, as I don't know what his name is. Like I just call him board member. <laughs> uh, board yeah, member. I have Fredrickson is his name. Oh, sh- 
But there, there you go. And then he's um, he's the blind guy at the end of Dunkirk handing out the blankets. Oh shit! I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I have a I have a little something to read to you about following because it okay. it was uh I found it to be a little incendiary and I I really want to highlight when this piece was written. This piece was uh, written in December of 2012 by a fellow named Doctor Svet and at at Ansov. I'm probably butchering okay. the pronunciation of that name. I apologize because that's what we do on this show. Uh, but on <laughs> Blu-ray.com, which I don't know if you use that website. That website is like a Bible for me. Yeah. Uh, the Criterion had just been released. And this is what he said about the film. Because not only do they review the picture and audio quality, they review the film as well. He said, if the directors that made any of the greatest film noirs of the early 40s and 50s were still alive today, I think that they would be making films that looked a lot like Christopher Nolan's following. This is a flawless film, really. The British director has gone on to shoot some really big and very successful films, understatement of the year, since 1998, but I think the following remains his masterpiece. This, this He said that at the end of 2012. He said the following remains his masterpiece. Wow. That's, that is a bold statement, sir. That is I don't a, know how I, I that I you can you're allowed to have your opinion but some opinions are just fucking wrong. <laughs> it's you know, it's a good movie. It's an especially good first movie, but masterpiece? Uh, come on. That's a word that uh has unfortunately descended into the realm of hyperbole. Yeah, it it's like I I don't mean to it's like I hate going to theater sometimes because I feel like now there's, regardless of how good the show is, there's some fucking obligation that you have to give it a fucking standing ovation. It's like, no, you do that for the truly incredible performances that you see. Don't just stand because you saw somebody else do it. Like, so I think, I think, yeah, I think masterpiece can just, you know, it's like, oh, I'm somebody with a voice. I can just say that this is a masterpiece. And it's like, well, Mm. I'm I'm gonna bring up a, a a piece of ancient history for you and I. Did we not stand up and applaud at the end of Grindhouse? Oh, we might have, <laughs> but we were also what, like twenty two. Well, but like, what a what a fun night that was. It was a great night. It was and a that's gr- something- sorry to, sorry to get off track. We're gonna have a moment of nostalgia here. It was you and me and Melissa and Chris. Yeah. And remember, everybody got up after the end of Planet Terror, and we all turned around and went, no, there's another one. It's a double feature. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. yeah. I totally remember that. That was one of my favorite memories. Sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack no, us there. No, not at all. And, feeling, and that's the thing, I'm too. I'm feeling is, nostalgic. I, we haven't, I haven't mentioned it yet, but but some of these movies I saw I, I saw in theaters, I haven't seen all of them, and, and we can talk about them as they come up. But, like, you know, part of when how I saw these movies and when I saw them is also kind of high up it, it, it'll affect placement as we continue on the list so that was my number seven will you recap your number seven so my seven uh was the dark knight rises my six was following which is why we talked about it so perfect what is your six? Oh wait sorry 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 following was your eight following was my seven so what is your seven? That's where we are. My number seven is the Dark Knight. I uh, I just want to let you know how much I I hate you. I oh I know, I hate you as much as you hate me right now. <laughs> 
Okay, so my number six is Batman Begins. My number six is Insomnia. So it looks like we're at our halfway point. <laughs> That's not much of a halfway point. I mean, we, we know we've both gone through our five, so... Do yeah. we need to talk about five films before we actually take a break? Is that is that no the plan no or? no 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 not at all. Okay. In fact, I would I would love I would love to play your game. Okay, so I um I was uh, going through and I was like, hey, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna come up with um my my Christopher Nolan SAG awards. So I'm gonna read you the nominees and the performances, and I want you to pick your winner. Um. So let's start with best. Sorry, do, sub- do you want me to rank them or just pick my favorite? I just want you to pick a winner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're gonna start with one, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna say that there's one person who's not nominated. So we're gonna go with best supporting male performance. Heath Ledger is not a part of this because I feel like he would just win. So we're gonna, or maybe not, but I'm just gonna take him out because of all the acclaim he got. So five nominees, best supporting male performance. Your nominees are Michael Caine. The Dark Knight Rises. Tom Hardy, The Dark Knight Rises. Killian Murphy, Inception. Joe Pantoliano, Memento. Or Robin Williams, Insomnia. Oh, goddamn. All right, Tom Hardy is out right now. <laughs> Fuck Tom Hardy. <laughs> and I do, I do really like Killian Murphy. but I think that's the wrong nomination. I really like Killian Murphy in Batman Begins more than I like him in Inception. So that one's oh. out. Okay, okay. That leaves me with Robin, jo- Michael Joey Kane, Pants, and, yeah. and Joey Pants. Yeah. Oh. You see, I think Michael Caine deserves recognition for the trilogy as a whole. So this is this is sort of like his, his, his makeup Oscar, or his makeup this, sag in a way. Yeah, exactly. So... If we're to look at the Dark Knight trilogy as a whole, I'm happy for it to go to Michael Caine. But I really fucking love Robin Williams in Insomnia. I I think that's the way. And I don't want to take away from Joey Pants. I fucking love Joe in Memento. I think he's fucking great. I think he's like my bronze bronze medalist. And this is a little bit is a little bit irrelevant now because of when we're recording this versus when it comes out, but Joey Pants was recently on Mark Marin. And if you're a Mark Marin fan or not, that is a fucking great episode. Those two I, 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 I saw a, I read I read a snippet of what of something that came out of that. It's a great conversation. I fucking I was dying. I was dying laughing. So I think I know you didn't want me to rank him but to cl- pick a clear winner, so I just want to make it clear. Joey Pants, number three, bronze medal. Number two, silver medal, Michael Caine. But the clear winner is Robin Williams in Insomnia. Because yeah, he I, does he does some magical things in that film, considering who he is and what we've come to know of Robin Williams at that point in his career. Like yeah, I mean he's I, done he's done dramatic shit. He's done Good Morning Vietnam, which is kind of both comedy and drama. He's done Dead Poet Society, Good he's Will Hunting. Goodwill Hunting, which Goodwill Hunting if ever an actor deserved an Oscar, Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting fucking earned that gold medal right there. For, but for Insomnia, sure. Insomnia is just something. It's an actor challenging themselves. It's an actor taking everything that you know about them 
and completely spinning it on their head. And yeah. I respect that so I, much. And, and and I think it's a little skewed because he also did one hour photo. But That's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I want to give it to Joey Pants, but I think I think Robin Williams is, is the winner. Oh, now, absolutely. For best supporting might, might be the only thing we agree on in this episode. <laughs> for be, best best supporting female performance, I got creative because there's not a like female performances in his movies can be can go one way. So if you if you feel like I left somebody out, it might be because I pushed them into lead. So here we go. Best supporting female performance in a Christopher Nolan movie. Rebecca Hall, The Prestige. Marion Cotillard, The Dark Knight Rises. Anne Hathaway, Interstellar. Harriet Sampson Harris in Memento. She plays Mrs. Jankus. And Lucy Russell following The Blonde. Well, I think Lucy Russell and uh, give me the actress's name again for Memento. Harriet Sampson Harris. I mean, they're both good at what they do, but I don't think they have enough screen time in order to leave a, uh, uh, an impression. So that leaves me with Anne Hathaway of Interstellar, Marion Cotillard of Dark, Dark Knight, Knight Rises. Rises. Yeah. Okay, here's the problem. That's the wrong fucking movie. She no, should no, have no, been nominated. She's she's coming back. Oh, she's okay. Good. Yeah. Okay, so she's she's out for Dark Knight Rises. Had you said Inception. She would have had a okay, good well, shot at well, number one. Well, don't worry, don't worry. Okay, who have I got left? I've got Rebecca Anne Hall. Hathaway. Rebecca Hall for the Prestige and Anne Hathaway for Interstellar. Uh, Rebecca Hall wins for me. I, you know what? I was looking at this, and I, I gotta give it to Harriet Sampson Harris. I think, I think she's great. I, I buy everything she does in that in that role, and all the all the cutaways to her, like. I don't know. I, I give it to her because it's it's kind of it's kind of a zag, but also like she's good in what she does. It's like it's like oh. a William it's like a William Hurt in a History of Violence type performance. Like she hasn't got much oh, time. Now she that, nails it. God damn it! Now that you say that, you're making me second guess. But Rebecca Hall just breaks my heart so goddamn much, man. No, she's great. She's good in it for sure. Would would she be a, a pretty good a pretty good case for your your runner up? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that. Okay, so a new this is a made up and I feel like I already know your answer to this, but uh, this is a made up uh, a particular award specifically for Christopher Nolan. Best recurring actor. Your choices are Michael Caine, Killian Murphy, Tom Hardy, Anne Hathaway, and Marion Cotillard. Anne Hathaway and Tom Hardy they're out right away. <laughs> And I feel like my reasons should go without saying. <laughs> I've got Michael Caine. Well, he calls Michael Caine his good luck charm. I yeah. mean, it's kind of hard to argue that. I mean, it's almost Michael Caine by default. It, that's what I was... I would have picked him anyway. I just... I had to think of other people to put in there. So, that's... But Marion Marion Coltar is my, my runner-up. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Best leading male performance i I'm, i'll be curious to see if i if, if you like the choices i made right. your your nominees are christian bale the prestige leonardo dicaprio inception hugh jackman the prestige al pacino insomnia guy pierce memento oh man you're really gonna bust my balls huh i, I 
dude, I don't. Okay, Christian Christian Bale in the Prestige. I really love him in that movie, and we're trust me, we're gonna do a deep dive on the Prestige. We've got a okay. lot of talk about when it comes to that film. Okay. Hugh Jackman. I want to put something to you before we get to the Prestige. Now that you've asked me this question, before Prisoners comes out, is the Prestige his best performance? Because, bear this in mind, he actually plays three characters in that film. Um, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, at that point, I, he really he really hadn't pushed himself so much up until that point. I would, I could, I think I could say yeah. Okay, so, and then Al Pacino, I mean, Pacino's out just because of all the, if I look at Pacino, his entire oeuvre, his oeuvre, <laughs> I mean... Insomnia probably is his best film until he gets to The Irishman. He had a couple of great... That's what I thought. Great moments between here and there. Like, You Don't Know Jack, where he played Jack of Orkin. Yeah, I've Fucking seen that. awesome. Love yeah. it. I'm going to go I'm gonna go slightly controversial. I'm going to say Hugh Jackman. Oh, wow. Wow. Mine's... Mine, my runner-up is Al Pacino. Uh, and my winner's Guy Pierce. I mean, Guy's great. I love Guy Pierce in Memento. But I think, I think there's a handful of, and I'm not trying to take away from what he did because he does great work. But I feel like he's not the only person that could have played that role. I mean, I, I I could kind of see that, but I also because of how independent this movie was, I think I think he it could the, the role also could have been a lot worse. And I think, given everything, God, he he just fucking nails it. We'll talk more about he, that later. But he he really does nail it. I do love Guy Pearce in that. He would make a strong runner-up for me okay so best best leading female performance and again i i had to get creative with yeah so here are your nominees jessica chastain interstellar marion cotillard inception anne hathaway the dark knight rises carrie moss memento hillary swank insomnia I don't even have to think about this one. It's fucking Marion Cotillard in Inception. She destroys me. She literally fucking levels me in that movie. So I I, I agree. I agree. I I think I think uh, and, and what would really happen was that Carrie Ann Moss and Jessica Chastain should actually be in supporting, and they they'd battle it out. And I'd probably give it to to Carrie Ann Moss because it's just so unique and different i think each scene that she gets because of how this, the movie progresses you get to see a different side of her but yeah it's 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 marion cotillard for sure okay and i got one more i got one more this is my last one best ensemble here we go your nominees are the dark knight inception insomnia memento and the prestige Oh, well, I'll give you the top three. Prestige, Dark Knight, Inception. With Inception being number one. Well, that's, that's, your, that's your winner? Yeah. Oh, man. I think I got to go Dark Knight. Yeah? Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Like, Heath Ledger just outweighs everybody. But the problem is, and this is what we talked about in last week's episode, is Aaron, Aaron Eckhart and Maggie Gyllenhaal just aren't that good. 
and so it kind of drags See, I, the movie down. I disagree. A little bit for I disagree. Me. I think Maggie Gyllenhaal isn't that good. I think Aaron Eckhart doesn't get a lot of screen time, but I like what he does. I do. I honestly and genuinely like the choices that he makes in that movie. How, how about this? I like half of what he does. Hey, oh. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. That's, you, you that, is that? Some, that is some bullshit. Right. <laughs> Well, well, do you want to keep going and find another intermission, or do you want to do my game? Let's do let's do your game. So, um, this I I realize the way I worded this is probably poorly worded, but I also have, and I I'm not going to ask you to pick a winner. I would actually like you to rank these in order of the sort of trauma that they caused you. So, trigger warning. Uh, for for anybody who's had a loss in their life, but I would like you to rank what I'm calling the Dead Wives Club. Okay. Uh, anybody who's a big Nolan fan, you will notice a trend in his films, and that is that spouses are either absent or they are killed off in a very dramatic manner. I don't know how Emma Thomas feels about that. I would love <laughs> to hear her two cents on that. But But here we go. So there are a total of, I, I, I called it six. I mean, and I, I probably shouldn't. Uh, okay, anyway, let's, well, Interstellar, there's mention of uh, the, the mom not being there, that the mom died of cancer, and that if the country had continued to focus on scientific research, if they continued to study you know, medicine, that the mom might still be there. Yeah. So that I think it still counts, but if you want to leave it unranked because she's not shown in the movie, that's totally fine. Okay. So in Memento, we actually have the death of two wives, or depending on how you feel about it, maybe the death <laughs> of one wife. So you rank this how you want. Okay. We have the death of Leonard's wife, and we have the death of Mrs. Jenkins. In Prestige, we also have two deaths. Yeah. We have the death of Angier's wife and the death of Borden's wife. Mm-hmm. In The Dark Knight, even though she's not married to Aaron Eckhart's character, we have the death of Rachel. Okay. And in Inception, we have the death of Mal, who is Leo's wife in that film. So okay. if you want to rank so, those in the order that they sort of traumatize or the way that you felt about them. Um, so I, I think... I think Mal's death, Marion Mary Cotillard in, in Inception... Is lower for me, but only because she's still so present in the film, and she's such a powerhouse. And I, it's, it's, I don't, I know that she's she's dead, but she's so alive in the movie that I don't, you know, it, it's it's messed up that she jumps off. But I, that one that one's pretty low for me. I'll I'll be honest with you. That that's 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 pretty low. Um. So I'm not gonna count Leonard's wife. Um. Well, I guess no. I guess okay. So, so we're talking about the okay, okay. I got you. I um, okay. So I've got the two deaths in Memento, the two deaths in the Prestige, and what 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 else? What what else am I left with? Uh, Dark oh, oh, Knight yeah, and, Dark and Knight. Inception. Yep. Okay. So, oh man, I gotta. So when when Rachel dies in the Dark Knight, it is very shocking. Like you, like I just I didn't see it coming. Um, but 
it's more like of a storytelling device. It, I mean, she should she, she didn't need to die, but that one didn't have such a profound effect on me. I will say that all the other four, the two in the two in Memento and the two in Prestige, are all pretty. So I'd say my my four is probably um, uh, and Angier's wife, um, and I think maybe it's just because of of how theatrical and accidental it was and 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 she wanted to be pushed with the with the knot and 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 obviously it's it's brutal it's it's rough and and like he, he she dies right in front of him um so that one's that one's that one's pretty jarring um jesus uh let's see I, I, you know, and maybe I'm just, it's so I, I think three is probably Borden's wife. I can't think of her name in the movie. Um, uh, but, uh, Sarah, Sarah, because, uh, and that's so heartbreaking because of obviously and spoiler alert, we're not talking about it yet, but the, the, the twins factor and clearly one, one of, one of him was in love with her and the other half wasn't. And that's so, that's so tough for her and for the kid. And that one, that one's, that one's pretty heartbreaking, but I, I do think that number, I would say, I mean, as vicious as it is, I think the Leonard's wife, the if if you believe that she died, depending on how you view the movie, the the raped and beaten and dying in front of her. But again, I I, I the the Sammy Jenkins like the continual shot of insulin, and just like because she can't accept what's happening to him, she would she just chose to 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 kill herself because of of not recognizing who her husband is and, and the pain that she would cause him. I, I, I personally, I think that one, that, that one probably is the one that is like the, the harshest to me. That's, that's number one for you. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Cause that's like number three for me. Yeah. Number, number two being Angier's wife, the whole stunts in the, yeah. in the, the, the water tank that, because we, I mean, we, we live it. We have to live it in the movie, and then we have to re—we have to relive it throughout the film. Yeah, but it's—we it, are sort of diametrically opposed about this. I think Mal's death is the one that hit me the hardest because, again, we see it, but I think I think Nolan does a fantastic thing where he cuts away, and we're forced—we're forced to see it through Leo's eyes as well. Yeah, we're forced to actually be in that real time moment with him, and his ex- his exclamation of Jesus Christ is just so visceral and and real for me. It just it hits me in in all the. I I mean I did start. I'll, I'll confess I started weeping during the first time I saw I saw Inception three times in theaters. Obviously, I was prepared for it the second two times, but the first time I just started weeping. It fucked me up, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, it's, 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 if you're not expecting it, it's shit, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And then number four for me would probably be, be Rachel. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's a little games, if you will, some fun ranking and award shit that we like to do here and make things a bit spicier. Um, because we, we love lists. We love lists. 